Greetings, friends. Good to be with you here. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here on News Talk 840 KXNT. Lots to cover today. This hour, as per usual, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law because you deserve lawyers that share your values. Now, uh, SBF, that is uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, was arrested yesterday about 6 p.m. local time in the Bahamas. Uh, the Bahamian officials there were executing an arrest warrant on the behest of the Southern District of New York prosecutors. So these are federal prosecutors that had obtained at some point in time a true bill of indictment from a grand jury. Now the uh, indictment was unsealed. I have it here in front of me. So put on my, we'll put on my lawyer hat uh, in a moment and take you through it. Uh, there are some interesting things uh, contained therein that I want to draw your attention to because I think as people are going to go through this story, some of these, um, I, I'm not sure everybody's going to make all the right connections. What I find fascinating is the timing of this uh, indictment coming down, the arrest warrant being issued, I see, um, well, look, uh, friends, he was due to testify. Sam Bankman-Fried was due to testify today in front of Congress. And the uh, notes for his remarks that he'd created and made for himself somehow uh, mysteriously have been leaked and were published by Forbes early today. And it was a, you know, I went through it, a very detailed outline of what his testimony would have been. What's making the headlines, of course, is a sensational element where he opens the deal saying that he effed up. He had the actual word in there. I guess he was going to drop an F-bomb uh, in, uh, in his testimony. I, that's what's getting the headlines. But you go through it. And I think somewhere, let's see, in page, what is this, 11 or 12 of this outline, starts getting into some interesting stuff. Uh, let me note, too, he was not going to come to D.C. and testify in person. That was not the plan. Uh, he was due to testify remotely via video link. So I think he was going to do a, you know, a Zoom call type of thing. So... I always ask questions. Why, or better yet, is it significant that this indictment was unsealed and the arrest warrant issued hours before he was due to testify in Congress? And if it was significant, why? I'll get to that in a moment. So he's... He's talking well, – there's a lot of stuff that he was intending to cover. This is SBF, the founder of FTX, the cryptocurrency exchange that just blew up about a month ago. There's a fair amount of money missing, about $1.8 billion of client deposits, which, according to allegations, uh, were used by a sister firm, a company called Alameda Research that was a, a separate hedge fund 
that was operating stateside and, and, and was, was, was incurring tremendous losses. And so cash that was being deposited by customers over on the FTX uh, Bitcoin, not Bitcoin, but crypto exchange, that money was going, being secretly, and this is according to the unsealed indictment, being funneled to cover operating expenses and losses at the sister company, Alameda. Now, the indictment, here's the count of the indictment. Wire fraud, there are four counts. Uh, then there's two counts, one for commodities fraud and securities fraud. There's one count for money laundering, and then perhaps, to me, the most interesting, because I think it gets to some of the questions here that I have related to the, uh, the timing of all of this. Uh, you have a, an indictment. The eighth count is a conspiracy to defraud the United States and to violate campaign finance laws. So this is a, a good old-fashioned campaign finance law violation. The substantive part of it uh, says it's a violation of uh, Title 52. Yes, it's Section 3109 D1A and D. Uh, familiar with the section these are the limits that are placed on folks as individuals contributing uh monies to certain candidates and elections okay so there's a there's a an aggregate total in uh section 3122 i believe that deals with the amount in a calendar year that can be given to a particular candidate and also what the allegation here is, is that basically they were using other names and straw men to uh, transfer money. So, you know, there's other people have gotten in trouble, uh, some very prominent. Dinesh D'Souza, if you remember, was convicted of just such a uh, campaign uh, contribution violation. And the allegation there was that he had in an effort to exceed the federal limits of money given to candidates from him. He, he used other people and basically wrote them a check, and then they sent the money on to another candidate, to the same candidate that he'd already maxed out his total contribution to. Does that make sense? So that's what they're alleging here. Now, it is a, I want to emphasize here, it, what, they are, what they are saying here, the, the count in the indictment, is not strictly a campaign finance law in a violation that he violated, that he exceeded the limit or whatnot. They're alleging a conspiracy. And this is an important distinction because a conspiracy, of course, involves two or more people that are getting together and planning and executing on the commission of a crime. Now, yes, by definition, of course, in order to use strawman, there is another person involved in that but I have an important question here too which is does do these prosecutors believe that some of these politicians notably the many Democrats who were beneficiaries of uh, Mr. SBF's Samuel Bankman Freed's uh, largesse political largesse over the years were they in on it and if they were in on it, is there a desire perhaps to protect them, to keep a lid on all of this, to prevent SBF from testifying in Congress and being asked questions under oath 
by Republican members who no doubt would go to the heart and core of all of this and start getting information on the record. You got a guy that's flailing. If you go through his notes, I mean, he is, I mean, you can tell he's in a place of major distress and understands that the walls are closing in on him. So is this uh, young man, he's 30 years old, is, you know, he certainly, his whole world has crumbled and blown up and by his own hand, admittedly, he writes that in his, in his remarks. If these are actually his remarks, he's quite bold about saying how much he's, how many mistakes he's made. But is this somebody who potentially, whose testimony might prove politically damaging? I think the answer is yes. And I think it suggests to me that the Southern District of New York, the prosecutors there, this is a, a branch of the Justice Department that even, even in times of Republican administrations uh, is quite left-wing and aggressive in prosecution. I, 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 would, I will say this, of, of all financial wrongdoing crime, but particularly of political crimes, and, and they, they, are, they are notorious – uh, notoriously pro-Democrat. So I, I, I think, is, it, is, is there some other explanation? Certainly. But the timing of this, friends, the timing of it has to be examined and has to be talked about. And so far, I've not seen anybody really get into that, roll up their sleeves and get at it. Now, the other interesting part from the remarks and based on the indictment is the blame shift. And this is another example of where there are other powers at play here. This is a huge fraud, right? We, we, for the last, what is it, 10, 15 years, the, the largest uh, fraud that we all talked about was Bernie Madoff. And that, you know, Bernie Madoff, of course, was, was known for his, he was a, a, a New York City uh, financial guy, a wizard. He'd been president of NASDAQ. And he you know, apparently was was running a small investment business. Only well, it wasn't that small. There was hundreds of millions, maybe close to a billion dollars involved there of, of losses. It could have been more than that. Now, I don't exactly remember all the numbers, but it was quite substantial. He was running an investment business, and of course, it was just a giant Ponzi scheme. Now, this promises potentially to be an, an even bigger uh disappearance of funds because in the case of Bernie Madoff ultimately the, the these were there was actually cash and value and things there that the trustee the liquidator was able to obtain on behalf of, of victims and I forget what the percentage was but it was it was quite high I was ultimately surprised what percentage of, of losses were recovered there's no such promise of any of that happening here because of course crypto this all this was fugazi and just disappeared into thin air. He had a series of, of young 20-something-year-olds, right, running around pretending to be business financial whiz kids, but really they were just blowing it on anything and everything they could possibly imagine. I think as the story unravels, it's going to be huge, and there's a political component to it, of course, because Samuel Bankman-Fried and, and, and his cohorts were all huge donors to Democratic causes. And now with allegations in the true bill, in the actual indictment of campaign finance law violations. I, I mean, this, this is a, 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 a ball of yarn that could unravel into a truly devastating mess for the, for the Democratic Party.
And I say could because my faith in the politically motivated Southern District of New York is not high when it comes to looking at Democrat malfeasance. However, however, uh, stranger things have happened, and this really could turn into a, a, a devastating problem. I was going to say the other thing here that was interesting from his notes was that he uh, – this is Sam Bankman-Fried, the founder of FTX, the guy that just got arrested yesterday, was saying – was going to testify today in Congress and, and, and say that he was pressured into filing for, for bankruptcy. And he said that most of the pressure came from a, an attorney named Ren Miller. He's the general counsel of FTX. He's former partner of Sullivan and Cromwell. Now, Sullivan and Cromwell's big white shoe firm, they are very political. They have, um, as I understand it, a, a number of the attorneys there made quite a lot of donations to the Democratic Party. And I guess there, uh, one thing that was just it stuck out to me as I was reading these remarks, these, these prepared, this presentation where testimony was going to give today was, uh, you know, talking about the receipts that he has by this, the phrase that cool kids use, the screenshots of conversations he'd had with this particular attorney who was urging him and adamant that he file quickly for Chapter 11 uh, bankruptcy. Um, and, and, and again, I, I, think, I think that a lot of very powerful Democrats know there's something here, and they've, they are absolutely terrified about it. I mean, they are, they, are, they are scared stiff. And again, remember this indictment coming out of the uh, Southern District of New York. That's just one jurisdiction where people were damaged. This, this could have easily been picked up by the FBI, by the Justice Department itself out of Washington, D.C. They didn't touch it. So I, 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 these are just questions I have, right? These are just things that I, I think we ought to be asking. And, um, and so, yeah, um, and, and, and again, I'm, I have no doubt that once Republicans come into the majority in January, they'll be asking a lot more questions, and they won't be the softballs that some members on the Democratic side were, I'm sure, going to lob at Mr. Bankman-Fried. All right, friends, got to take a quick time out. Some updated polling on the presidential race for 24. It's relevant, folks. It's relevant because we have a declared candidate and we've got another guy sitting in the White House who's um, eating his porridge and making a decision whether he will run for re-election. I'll tell you what those numbers are and what they say. Uh, and then also, we'll, of course, yes, I'll get into, I, I'm going to cover, this. a guy died in Cutter, just dropped dead fairly young guy, a journalist, soccer uh, pro. And um, uh, this interesting development about that today, too. Sam Rajofsky, be back in a moment. You're listening to The What's Right Show here on News Talk 840 KXNT. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Greetings, friends. Sam Rajofsky here, your host of the What's Right Show. You can always reach me at sam at samandashlaw.com, sam at samandashlaw.com. Uh, glad to hear from you about issues we cover here and, of course, any legal questions you may have. I do try to respond to those emails same day if I can. Uh, f well, where can I start? I 
I know I I looked I saw some polling today that is a, a little bit well a little bit troubling uh, if you are um, if you're hoping Trump pulls it through now is, the, there's some slippage in the numbers now before I get to what I think of polls and what I think of the timing of it I'm just reporting this right now we're just going to cover it I'll give you my commentary in a moment. But uh, basically, a polling right now, Biden versus Trump, you know, in a theoretical head-to-head matchup, uh, this is based on a a USA Today Suffolk University poll, uh, shows a 47 to 40% advantage to Biden. Now, the interesting thing here is taking GOP and GOP-leaning voters. Again, according to this uh, recent poll that was completed, I think, two days ago, uh, by a two-to-one margin, GOP and GOP-leaning voters now say they want Trump's policies, but someone else to carry them through. 31% want the former president to run. 61% prefer some other Republican nominee who would continue policies Trump has uh, pursued. Now, uh, when... following up on who they had in mind and going through a list of candidates that you know of, you know we think might be out there besides Trump two thirds responded that they wanted Florida Governor Ron DeSantis so uh, th- then the interesting thing of course is the DeSantis versus Biden matchup now there remember Trump is again according to this poll he's down by seven points He's 40%, and, and Biden would theoretically have 47%. Now, there, uh, again, the, the same poll completed on the 11th, yes, two days ago, has DeSantis up by four. That's a pretty big swing because there was an Emerson poll that was concluded in the middle of November, and that had Biden up by four. So again, an eight-point eight swing. Now, that's the... That's the raw data that I'm giving you right now from these from these polls. Few things, few thoughts right at the top of my head. One, it is what is it, December, November of 22. I, folks, this this, this election is 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 miles away. All right. Two, I've said this over and over again. It's all downside politically for Trump to declare this early. I, I understand politically there is a thinking or was a thinking in the former president's camp to you know, dispose of rivals or push rivals out by declaring early that he was a candidate. And I, I understand that. Uh, but you know, this, again, it's just the numbers, it's the data. You've got a guy like DeSantis who ha- doesn't have to move a finger. All he has to do is be governor and be successful. And let his action speak for himself and raise money and quietly, quietly build support. I'm not saying he's doing nothing because DeSantis is like a duck. You know, he looks from the outside like he's not doing much, but he is furtively, you know, his little feet are just swimming, you know, as fast as he can. But the point is he, he can he's actually picking up points and picking up support without declaring candidacy. This is a 
This is a, it's, I'm telling you, it's, it's significant, particularly this early on. But again, it's very, very early. I'll get into Grant Wall, what happened in Cutter, give you my thoughts on that. I'm also uh, want to get to the school board member. And we're voting for a new president. This is um, in another state. That's not going to happen here in Nevada. Voting for a new school board president. And she said she couldn't support the white guy, the straight guy, because that was a bad thing. This, folks, needs to be talked about. I will address it when we return. Sam Rajofsky, I'll be back in a moment. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. Friends, welcome back. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Really good to be with you. So I uh, don't know if you caught the story, but last week there was a journalist, a U.S. journalist named Grant Wall, who suddenly collapsed while he's covering the World Cup in Qatar. And, of course, this is the guy who uh, became somewhat prominent beyond the sports world because he was – the journalist denied entry into the stadium at the beginning of the World Cup because he was wearing a gay pride shirt. So because of this controversy, there were a number of, uh, well, speculative statements put out, in particular by Grant Wall's family. Uh, His brother, you know, demanding an independent autopsy and whatnot, uh, saying there could be foul play. And in the end, uh, well, today, I guess the big update is that the family has gotten confirmation that this was a, a death of natural causes. It's funny when well, – it's not funny. It's actually tremendously sad when this was happening. I I meant to talk about it, but, friends, we, we sometimes have way too many things to cover. It's one hour, and I, you know, I can't get to – I can't do it all. And my very first reaction was this is a guy that – this is something that could happen to any one of us. And what I mean by that is I, you know, he had been tweeting, and I, I follow him on Twitter. He'd been tweeting about his long days, his 20-hour days, and that he was sick, that he had flu-like symptoms. And we've become so obsessed right now with COVID, right? So people get sick. They get tested, Right? Oh, phew, it's not COVID. I'm going to be okay. And the truth is that untreated, uh, an untreated flu that turns into bronchitis, turns into pneumonia, they, they can kill you. I mean, he looked like a younger-ish middle-aged guy, but, you know, he's 15, uh, 49. What was it, 49? And he had a death rattle cough is how it is being described, a stubborn case of bronchitis shortly before he collapsed. This was right before he was um, he was covering uh, Argentina's quarterfinal win against the Netherlands. So, you know, he's got this event. This is when if you write about soccer, the World Cup comes around once every four years. What is your mentality going into that? I know. Because it's like when I have a trial or when I have a big event, if I get sick, my my thinking is I just have to power through. I have to keep at it. 
COVID changed some of that calculus because, you, of course, you have to test, and if you test positive, you, you know, you just can't go around giving that to people. But it, 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 sadly enough, you know, our mentality is you test negative for COVID, you're good to go, and 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 we do, we power through. This is what a lot of very successful people do, me included. But this is a cautionary tale because, you know, bronchitis, you know, you have it as a kid and you get over it and you're home from school for a week. But as a, you know, as a middle-aged person, you you can't do that. You get sick, your body gets tired, you, you don't get enough sleep. That is a, that's a death spiral. And I, you know, I've got a dear friend here in town who's a, a doctor and uh, teaches medicine at, uh, at UNLV, and he's an emergency room doctor in town and uh, just a, a, a very cerebral, bright guy. And, and you know, and I, I, the first thing he asks when I'm not feeling well is he'll ask about my sleep. And I get annoyed. I was, well, what do you mean my sleep? I'm fine. I'm sleeping enough. He goes, well, I, I know you, Sam. You're probably not. And, and it's, it's, it's a component. You get sick, you get the flu, you get bronchitis, you don't sleep. I mean, it, it can, in certain cases, lead to death. So friends, as we, you know, we, there's, there's stuff out there right now. Everyone is sick. I was on a plane this weekend coming back from Orlando. I, I swear to goodness, every single person had a death rattle cough, quote unquote. Uh, and I, you know, and... You just have to you have to do everything you can to stay healthy. And if you get sick, take a take a beat, go to bed, rest it off. It could save your life. All right, I want to I I want to get to this this insane story uh, that I you know that I I caught my eye yesterday. And again, we just didn't have all the time in the world to uh, get to it uh, in the moment. But there's a school board. I believe the school board is out in uh, in Massachusetts, and I it, this is a one of the members of the school board. They're voting for a new president. Excuse me, no, Pennsylvania. And the school uh, treasurer, she's a board treasurer. Her name is Jennifer Salat, and she basically says that. Yeah, the guy that is running for president, he would do an excellent job, but there's a problem. There's a hitch. He's a boring cis white male, and I just cannot do it, says this Jennifer person. Listen to her declaration. I believe that Mr. DeLeo would make an excellent president. However, I feel that electing the only cis white male on this board president of this district sends the wrong message to our community, a message that is contrary to what we as a board have been trying to accomplish. Yeah, it sends the wrong message. So Greg D'Elia, who was previously a successful school director, lost in an eight to one vote to a, a woman named April Stainback. Friends, we, uh, we've lost our minds, honestly. And the problem with this is, and, 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 and we know this, right? We understand this. We, this is, 
this doesn't require any intuition or any natural intelligence. This just requires common sense, which, of course, is the bedrock principle of this program. But that common sense is that characteristics, identities, um, what you look like, who you are, how you identify, who you sleep with, have no bearing on your ability, anyone's ability, to do a particular job and to do it well. And we also understand, friends, don't we, that the minute that we are that we are reordering the universe in a way to reward people based on these superficial characteristics, we are doing away with the the, the fundamentals of a, of a meritocracy. And we no longer end up with the best people in, in, in the jobs that you know where we need them. We end up with bureaucracies like we see across America and cities, and frankly, right now, even in the White House, in the executive branch of government, where you have total morons who are are in their position simply because they look a certain way and identify uh, themselves or put their identity, uh, frame that in a, in, in, a, in a manner pleasing to the uh, to these new dictates. Now, uh, give you an example. Sam Brinton, right? We heard this news. This is the non-binary Biden official, the nuke waste expert, who looks like a freak. Uh, stole jewelry from luggage right here in Las Vegas, $1,700. He took a bag, and he's done it before. He's you know, allegedly done it twice. Finally got fired. Kleptomaniac. Now, I mean, look, I believe, and I think you do too, that the Biden administration hired him because he's non-binary. I believe that there were probably other people to look at there's no shortage of smart, capable people who want to apply to work for the government, for, for you know the White House, for the executive branch of government. May not pay great, but it's prestigious. And yet they select these losers that are, you know, that that have created, I think, a long con on their identities in an effort to get ahead. I'll give you another example of this one that is perhaps more visible as the face of government, and that is the spokesperson for Biden and for the administration. This gal, Corrine Jean-Pierre, is a total moron. She's an idiot. She started answering a question two days ago. I didn't play it. Again, not enough time to cover everything. She starts answering a question. She turned to the wrong page in her binder. So someone asks her a question about a particular issue, and she begins answering the question as if it were a totally different question because she just turned to the wrong page and is so dependent on her notes, she can't formulate an independent thought in the moment. Now, why does she have the job? Well, she's uh, purportedly a lesbian, uh, and she's a woman of color. None of that, none of that, absolutely none of that should matter. And before I hear from any of you saying, well, Sam, you're making it an issue, that's not the issue. No, 
when she was put into that position, the folks, including Jen Psaki, but the folks in the Biden administration were all crowing about this. If you will recall, it was the lead of the event. We have a woman of color. We have a, a LGBTQIA plus, you know, a person that will be taking over this job. We're so proud and da 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 da. Now, maybe I'm just a grouchy, cis, straight male. <laughs> that, and that could be, you know, that could be, um, that, that's not that, but that's not it. It's absolutely not it. I had a great talk today with, with my friend Alan Stock on his show this morning, talking about precisely this non-binary Biden official, Sam Britton, the luggage thief. And, uh, and, you know, and, and, and we were running out of time, so we couldn't address it. But one thing that Alan said was, well, yeah, I was, you know, look at this guy. Look at him. Look at him. He looks like a clown. He looks at, look at his makeup and everything. You know what? If he's the best person to do a particular job and is brilliant and capable and beats out all the other candidates, I don't care what he looks like. I don't care that he's non-binary. I don't care that he's confused. I don't care that he puts makeup on and looks ridiculous. None of that matters to me. If he's good at doing his job or they are good at doing their jobs, whatever it is, then let, it, let him do the job. Do it well. Excel. That's what meritocracy is. I don't care what your politics are. And this is how I – by the way, this is how I operate my, my business. I mean we, we have a we, – we I guess I'm told we have a diverse business. Guess what? We pick the best people for the job. And the reason we do that is because we intend to deliver the best possible experience for our clients. When it comes to having your case handled and having a certain result come out, it doesn't matter who's doing the work. It actually very much does. It doesn't matter the identity or sexual orientation of the person doing the job. What matters is the result, is the outcome. That's what matters. All right, I got to take a quick break here. Uh, getting the evil eye here. For my producers. But listen, I, I have more thoughts on this when we come back. Wow. Uh, this, is, this is a major issue. All right. Sam Rajovsky, the What's Right Show, will continue after this. Hey, I found something funny, friends, I want to share with you. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. White Lotus, this is a show on HBO that I have now watched all the episodes to. It's fabulous, okay? Uh, got written up yesterday in the, I can't believe this. Hold up. The New York Times, a title of the review was, or is, I should say, and I'll read it to you verbatim. White Lotus didn't care about toxic masculinity after all. And what proceeds uh, or uh, follows this uh, piece, this title of this piece, is a, a kind of a lament by this writer for the New York Times uh, that, the, uh, that the, the series, I guess, didn't punish the cis white males or rich people in it enough. I will tell you my take. Uh, this, by the way, of course, is true, which is why people are watching it because this thing rose above politics. Sounds like another show, perhaps. Yellowstone? Anybody? It's funny. 
how when we move beyond identity politics and beyond the predictable script that the left continues to try to beat us over the heads with, suddenly people like, I don't know, want to watch this stuff. Go, go figure. I'm not going to give you any spoilers in case you haven't finished it or intend to watch it. I give it a high recommendation. It's on HBO. White Lotus, there's this first season and second season, fabulous stuff. But in the second season, there's this kid named Albie. He's part of three generations of Italians. They're from L.A. The dad is in the music business. He's this like kind of quasi-woke guy or pretends to be woke. But he's a womanizer. But he's woke. And the son is super woke. He went to some fancy school. And there's this great scene in the movie where he, he's, he meets a cute girl who's his age. And, uh, and, and, and he's talking to him, and, he, and they start to like each other, you know, and he, he, he asks her permission to kiss her. Well, then the next scene, this girl meets another guy who's a British guy, kind of a, a working class guy, and he just comes in and goes for the kiss and just pins her down and, you know, and makes moves on her like a guy is supposed to. It's not it wasn't rapey. It wasn't inappropriate. It was, it was romantic. It was confident. It was, it made, it made her swoon. And she, you know, he's the one who wins the girl over. And it was that moment in watching the show. I go, wow, this is somebody in Hollywood is making some, some different stuff these days. You know, I think going back to that story about the Pennsylvania Upper Moreland School Board Treasurer Jennifer Salat saying she can't vote for a cis white male, even though it'd be great for his job because, you know, we can't have more of those pesky straight guys running things, you know, them and their patriarchy. <laughs> I thought about it. I thought, you know, the thing is, is it's starting to become a parody of itself. And as a consequence, there are things like this appearing on the internet. I found this today on Instagram. I don't know quite how to credit it, but this guy very creatively does the skit precisely about this topic. He's in the skit. This is a young guy, probably looks to be about 22, and he's dressed very well um, in the first scene, very, very straight, very cis straight male. Um, and he says this about his prospects and what he does to get a job. I'm Tyler and I'm gay for pay. I said I'm gay on my cover letter to become a diversity hire. You know, in the current job market and with companies asking applicants to self-identify who they prefer to have sex with in their cover letters, I figured I had to do what it takes <laughs> to set myself apart and provide for my wife. Hey Tyler, so what'd you do this weekend? Uh, what I do last weekend, I <clears throat> had some wine and charcuterie. Oh, wine and charcuterie, that sounds, <laughs> sounds like a good time. It was pretty pricey and got my briefs in a bunch <laughs> oh man I, I know the feeling i know the feeling i mean i felt that way when I tried talking to my crush and and she just you know it's like she doesn't even know i exist 40 percent of people lie on their resumes already job skills past performance what's wrong with saying i'm a sloppy power bottom so i'm dying of course because by the way friends i don't want to alarm any of you but i love a good charcuterie plate um so I don't know what that says about me. But then he goes on in the skit to go and talk about the, uh, the problems of you know, what happens when there's a company party you know, because he's got to keep the, the charade going of being gay that he got the job. 
So listen to this. Thankfully, the job is a remote position, although the company party did prove to be a bit challenging. Is your sweater cashmere? Oh, uh... It's boyfriend material, actually. <laughs> I'm Michael Tyler's partner. I'm Michael. I'm a professional actor. I specialize in the role of helping people keep up the illusion that they're a diversity hire. And I'm a method actor, so when Tyler hired me, we had to do a lot of preparation. It was about 10 years ago that the college degree became the high school degree. Now, being diverse is the college degree. I grew up in a generic middle-class family and didn't go to a fancy school. The best I can do is be diverse. I'm Tyler and I'm gay for pay. <laughs> it's turned into a joke. There's a reason that this is making the rounds and getting a ton of likes and, and views on, on social media. Because it's funny. And it goes to the heart of, of this, this business of picking people based on their identities that it, it is absurd. And that young people are beginning to point this out and make this kind of content, create this kind of stuff, gives me hope that, again, that, that we've, we've jumped the shark on all this stuff. So I, I will keep my fingers crossed that I am correct or my sense of this is correct. So there we go. Sam Rajovsky here. I, I got to run. It's been an hour just like that. See what happens when we're having fun? a good time go to the podcast apple podcast spotify what's right show find us there uh, like us review us follow us and i'll see you back here tomorrow <laughs>